This week's episode is about humans fishing through other humans' poop, on purpose. Sorry. We're pregnant. Bro, do you even live? I can't eat another one bite. One is usually bigger than the other. That tastes awful. This won't hurt a Wait, bit. Why is it leaking? Did you Whoa. hear that? Was that smell? was not oh, there yesterday. Have a second of it's totally I'm my natural hair color. Girl That's a close to look like that. Don't worry, that was Deadly. I'm Terrell. And I'm Iris. Welcome to Health Science for the Rest of Us, a podcast where we take a super practical look at the body, its shenanigans, and the world of fascinating ways we try and keep it healthy. This definitely won't replace a trip to your doctor's office, but it may help you make heads or tails of how to live in your body better. More important than that, this podcast will help you look like a total badass at your next Facebook debate. You did it again. We can edit that later. Let's Let's do do this. If you've ever owned a pet, had children, or worried about certain kinds of gut illnesses, there's a real good chance that at some point, you've had to scoop some feces into a little plastic cup and have a total stranger sift through it for money and to help find the causes of health problems or whatever. Whether or not you've experienced this personally, it's likely that you haven't given much thought to exactly what happens to the poop once it changes hands. You are correct. I have never thought about that. Ever. Well, neither had I. Until one of our past co-hosts, who will go nameless, had a poop sample shipped all the way to the Centers for Disease Control this month in order to have it tested for Vibrio infection. Interest peaked. In a flashback to the movie Contagion, I quickly got to imagining bright, windowless labs chock full of technicians digging around the clock through heaps of doo-doo, and decided that if that's not delicious enough to make the cut for this podcast, I don't know what is. So for this week's adventure, in order to uncover what might lie ahead for an unsuspecting stool sample, We explored just what happens to your poop after you hand it over for medical testing. The idea of using body fluids in medical testing is not that new, but it has come an awfully long way from the early days of tasting people's pee and sniffing their poo up close in order to diagnose their health problems. Today, methods involved in body fluid testing are relatively high-tech, and these tests no longer involve tasting. But when it comes to stool samples, body fluid testing does still require some touching. On your part. Surprise! Before the humans can hand over their poo to total strangers for medical testing, they must first collect their poo to create a stool sample. The collection process is rather straightforward. Mostly. 
In general, all that a human really needs to do is to wash their hands, then pee, then poo, like normal, then put on some gloves so that they can use a special spoon, to scoop some of the poo, into a special container. The container usually has a top that the human must screw closed in order to seal the container for its trip to the doctor's office, or to the lab that will be doing the medical testing. Sometimes, before collecting a stool sample, the human may be asked to stop taking certain prescriptions, like antibiotics, or certain over-the-counter medications, like certain painkillers, in order to avoid having any products in their system that might impact the results of the medical tests on their poop. The humans may also be asked not to collect their poop during their menstrual cycles, or during times when they're dealing with active cases of hemorrhoids. If the person making a stool sample for testing is a baby, or just a person with a mean case of mud butt, the wetness of their poop can cause things to get hairy when it comes time to try and get the sample inside the container for the stool testing. But if that happens, a person making a stool sample with bad diarrhea can still have their poop collected by placing a special plastic bag or a special plastic bowl underneath the toilet seat when they poop. This doesn't quite work for babies, but their stool can be collected by placing a small glass tube into their rectum to catch the poop as it comes out. Another option for babies is to use a special cotton swab to gently wipe some of the stool from the baby's rectum. At any rate, once the poop is out of the rectum, the poop is then ready to go inside the container and the person doing the collecting should be ready to remove their gloves, wash their hands, and give their sample to the people who will be running the medical tests. In cases where a human has been asked to provide more than one stool sample, they will have to repeat this process of collecting their poop every day, for 3 to 10 days, and must keep each sample in their own refrigerator, using a special container, until it's time to send all of the samples to the lab. On the other hand, a human who is badly constipated may need for their poo to be collected by having liquid solutions delivered up their rectum, in order to help bring the poop down, so it can be placed in the stool container and sent to the lab for testing. Fascinating. But enough, already, about collection. Okay, okay. We'll get on with it. Once a stool sample arrives at a lab, the next thing that happens to it is that the lab scientists there decide if they even want the stool. This is because lots of things can happen to a stool sample on the way to the lab that can make it untestable. These include things like if the poop took more than an hour to arrive at the lab, hashtag peak freshness, or if the poop accidentally touched the toilet, or if the poop accidentally touched cleaning products, or if the poop accidentally got some pee mixed into it, which is why poop samples from babies can't simply be collected from their dirty diapers. Once a decision is made about the quality of the stool sample, if the lab doesn't reject the sample altogether, 
The poop can then be taken deep inside the lab to be tested for things like parasites, viruses, fungi and bacteria, and other conditions that affect the digestive tract, like cancer or poor absorption of nutrients. The poop can also be tested to help figure out if a human has certain diseases of the liver or the pancreas. Before undergoing any of these advanced or specialized tests, the poop that was turned over must be eyeballed by the lab scientists, who must search for any unusual characteristics, such as extreme dryness, extreme wetness, extreme hardness, extreme softness, or unusual extra ingredients, like blood, mucus, pus, worms, extra colors, or undigested fibers. These particular features can be seen fairly easily, by the naked human eye, and can give important first clues about the health of the human who gave the sample. Once the eyeballing is done, another test the stool sample may undergo is called a guaiac test, which is used to look more closely for blood in the stool, when the blood is hiding, or cannot be seen easily with the human's naked eye. When the poop in a stool sample undergoes a guaiac test, the lab humans must smear some of the poo onto a specially coated paper card, which turns blue, if the stool sample has any blood in it. This special attention to blood in the poop is paid, because blood in the poop may be taken as an early warning sign that the human's body should be checked further for ulcers, or colon cancer. Other tests that a stool sample might undergo require lab scientists to pull out a whole host of fancy toys and techniques to better uncover what might be lurking in a person's poop other than poop and corn. As an example, if the poop in a stool sample is believed to contain parasites like roundworms, tapeworms, or protozoa, some of the poop may be placed into a special fluid called flotation solution using a special container called a fecalizer so that the stool and the fluid can be mixed thoroughly without splashing stool everywhere and then looked at later under a microscope after any parasite eggs in the sample have had time to float to the top of the fluid inside the container. This test is called a fecal float test, and that is really what it's called. We did not make that up for this episode. A stool sample that has been handed over for testing may also undergo a parasite test similar to the fecal float test, called a direct smear test. A few drops of salt solution must be dropped into a few drops of stool, so that all the drops can be mixed together using a Q-tip. Once this is done, the mixture can be smeared onto a glass microscope slide, in a layer so thin that you can read a newspaper through it. Once a thin layer of stool is on a slide, it can be viewed under a microscope to look for parasite eggs, and also, to look for worms. This test is less exciting than the fecal float test, but it is particularly useful when the lab humans only have a very small amount of stool to work with. As if being swished and swirled for parasites isn't exciting enough, poop in a stool sample that's been turned over for testing may also be dried and burned as part of a process called gram staining. Gram staining can be used to test poop in a stool sample for parasites. 
but can also be used to help identify different strains of harmful bacteria. If the poop in a stool sample undergoes gram staining, the first procedures done to it are similar to the ones used in the direct smear test that we mentioned before. But with a gram stain, after the poo is smeared onto a microscope slide, the slide must then be allowed to air dry so that it can be run over a flame two or three times, allowed to cool, and then be stained and rinsed by a sequence of chemicals, including iodine and alcohol. After it's allowed to dry again, the poop in the stool sample can be viewed under the microscope and searched for harmful bacteria like Shigella, Campylobacter, and E. coli, which all turn pink or purple in response to all the chemicals used in the earlier steps. Faster versions of this test, such as one called the Crop Swab Kit, are available to use for testing stool samples, but they are not always used on a given stool sample when it's turned over for testing. In some of the situations where humans give their poop to other humans for testing, they may have already suffered more than three days of bloody diarrhea, traveler's diarrhea, a high fever, a constant urge to go number two, pain and cramping, and blood, and mucus in their poop, their stool sample may need to be placed inside of a special oven, so that lab scientists can try to grow some of its harmful bacteria to get a better picture of the type of bacteria that may be causing problems with the human's gut. This is especially the case when the poop in a stool sample is believed to contain harmful bacteria like Campylobacter, Shigella, Salmonella, Yersinia, Clostridium difficile, E. coli, Vibrio, and Aramonas. In order to have its harmful bacteria viewed more thoroughly, the poop in a stool sample may be smeared onto a plastic plate called a petri dish, with a Q-tip if the poop is solid, or, with a special eyedropper if the poop is runny or being stored in preservation fluid. Once the stool is in the petri dish, it sits on top of a layer of science jelly, called agar, and gets spread across the dish in a zigzag pattern by a lab scientist with a special wire loop. A lid will be placed over the dish and the process will be repeated again up to a half dozen times using more of the poop from the stool sample, and a series of new petri dishes that each contain different types of agar, including at least one that contains agar made from sheep's blood. After being placed on petri dishes with lids, the stool samples must then be loaded into a special oven called an incubator for several days to allow the bacteria inside to grow. Later, when the samples are removed from the oven, they can be viewed again and searched for different bacteria that will have turned different colors in response to the different kinds of agar they were placed into. Unlike with the gram staining process, the bacteria in the stool on the petri dish can turn all sorts of fun colors other than pink and purple. As an example, if the poop in a stool sample is infected with salmonella, a special agar gel it was placed on will come out of the oven peppered in little black spots. In another example, if the poop in a stool sample is infected with shigella, the special agar gel it was placed on will come out of the oven covered in pinkish and pale red spots. You might imagine 
The whole petri dish in the oven process takes days for poop to undergo, but it's nothing compared to another method of testing that involves a technique called polymerase chain reaction, which helps lab scientists to grow poop bacteria or fungi or even viruses in the oven and then break them open to remove their DNA Jurassic Park style so they can hijack other bacteria into making copies of the DNA and then run a version of the DNA sequence through a special computer in order to figure out the exact identity of the organism it came from. That doesn't sound very impressive. Well, you can listen to the outtakes then. Fair enough. Anyway, you may have noticed that so far, most of what happens to the poop we hand over seems to revolve around testing the stool samples for critters. But not everything that happens to a stool sample involves confirming infections. Sometimes, stool is tested to confirm that a particular treatment has successfully wiped out an infection. In other cases, stool can undergo testing to find answers that have nothing to do with infections at all. Sometimes, when we hand over our poop for testing, it gets checked for levels of extra ingredients, like white blood cells, which could be a sign of inflammatory bowel diseases like Crohn's disease, or levels of extra fat and special sugars called reducing sugars, which could be a sign that a person's body isn't processing nutrients well. Many of the tests for these extra ingredients involve mashing up the poop in a stool sample and seeing how it changes colors inside test tubes full of chemicals, such as a blue liquid called Benedict reagent, but some of these tests also require that the sample be placed inside of special machines, like one machine called a plate photometer, which can be used to detect enzymes in the poo that might be caused by problems in the human's pancreas. There are all sorts of tests that the poop in a stool sample may undergo, including plenty more that we didn't go into here, but no matter what tests are done, when it reaches the end of the line, the last thing that happens to your poop when you hand it over to strangers for medical testing is that it's destroyed. Yep. All that effort with collecting and staining and Jurassic parking goes up in flames because for infection control reasons, stool samples are typically placed inside of an incinerator to completely destroy them once all of the testing is done. And the tools that were used to handle the stool samples are either disinfected with extreme heat inside another special oven called an autoclave, or they are disinfected using chemicals before being placed into a medical waste bin. So there you have it. It turns out that if you want to keep a clean bill of health, Part of that just might include being asked to poop in a cup and wait one to three days for faceless scientists to do chemical tests on it 
before lighting it in a big fire and sending the results with a freshly printed bill. There are worse things. There certainly are, but more on that later. No spoilers. That's all for now. Stay tuned, everybody. Please tell the other humans to listen to the podcast so I don't have to go back to my day job. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Health Science for the rest of us. If you like what you heard, be a pal and spread the love by sharing this podcast with a friend. If you're not sure how or if your friend just needs some help, you can both get some quick tips from our fun YouTube tutorial. Just tap on the link in the show notes from this episode. To learn more about the show in general or to see some pretty hilarious health memes and videos, stop by our website at healthscienceforeveryone.com. We're also on Facebook in the group section and on Twitter under the name Health Science Podcast. That's all one word. For a limited time, Health Science for the rest of us listeners can save 20% on all NZT products at my online store by entering the promo code dark 42 tower beam sunshine strain. No, no, no. I told you we're not doing that. My apologies www.irisspecialtystoreforthingshumansbyclairhealth.com Iris! Sorry. I'm hitting the button now. Is that how my voice sounds? Easter egg time. For this week's adventure, we had hoped to learn more about how much money the humans pay when they have to have a stool sample tested, but just like in episode 14, Adventures in Travel Vaccines, finding actual prices was anything but simple. We were able to find out that some of the more basic versions of stool testing can be done at home using kits that can be bought at drug stores and online vendors for between $20 and $100. Prices for stool testing done in labs appears to range between $5 and $100, depending on which tests are done, and depending on what kind of insurance a human has. We plan to explore prices for medical procedures and treatments in an upcoming adventure. Be sure to listen to the end of future episodes for more Easter eggs.